Dodgy Dr. Bar Mordecai. No, it's not a soap opera. He is the key player in over 46 separate court judgments, and you don't have to read them all, as I've summarised all the most interesting parts in this very long but fascinating episode. In our previous episode on The Doctor, Part 1, we looked at the background facts of the case, the probate proceedings, and the undue influence proceedings. And today we're going to be looking at the Family Provision Proceedings, the Section 66G Proceedings, and the Medical Tribunal Proceedings. They're all based on those facts and background that were given in Part 1, so I absolutely recommend that you listen to Part 1 first, and then join us again for Part 2, where we go into more detail and finally find out exactly what happened with the Doctor. Family provision claim. If a person dies and in their will they don't make sufficient provision for some, someone they should have, like their spouse or their children, the person they didn't provide adequately for can apply to the court and ask the court to give them a greater share of the estate. De facto partners are eligible to make a family provision claim, but they need to prove that they were the deceased de facto. So in 1999, Bar Mordecai made a claim for further provision out of Evelyn's estate on the basis that he was living with Evelyn in a de facto relationship at the time of her death. He had been unsuccessful in his previous claim that the 1989 will had been revoked and he was entitled to the estate under intestacy. So now he made a claim that what Evelyn had left him in the 1989 will was not enough and the court should award him more of the estate, if not all of it. So as I mentioned previously, a person claiming to have been in a de facto relationship has the hard task of providing evidence of the relationship to the court. It's not as simple as handing over a marriage certificate, unless you're one of those rare couples who actually register your de facto relationship. Bar Mordecai and Evelyn had not registered their relationship, but Bar Mordecai was prepared with evidence. In 1986, he had made a video of himself and Evelyn talking explicitly about their sexual relationship. In the video, they discuss sex and Bar Mordecai's relationships with a colleague, his ex-wife, and with Evelyn. Evelyn mentions how there is satisfaction in feeling that he is not her son, but a younger person who could benefit from her experience. She said, and I quote, My vanity is playing also a part. It's a wonderful feeling for a woman of my age and at this stage of my life to still be desired. End quote. She said that she could not become Bar Mordecai's life partner, and the tape concluded with her inviting him to her bedroom. It was apparent from the video that Evelyn was not aware that a video was being made. When she found out, she asked him to destroy it. He kept it, however, and showed it to the court 16 years later as proof of their relationship. From April 1992, Bar Mordecai made several further recordings. According to Bar Mordecai, the purpose of making the tapes was for the instruction of patients and medical students on the circumstances of an aged person. The court didn't believe this and found instead that they were made by Bar Mordecai with the mind to getting some advantage from them in the future. In some of the tapes, Evelyn is questioned about her life history and circumstances. When discussing Bar Mordecai moving in with her a few months after Jack's death, she describes it as sharing house with the doctor and says that it is quite a privilege to have a doctor all the time. She also mentions that she misses living in the unit at Mount Street and would not like to share the unit with Bar Mordecai. At one point in the recording, she says that she is not his wife or mother. To give you a feel for these interviews, I'm going to give you a section that was used in the court proceedings. Bar Mordecai. What do you think of me at present after eight years? Evelyn, what do you mean of you? 
of you as what? As a doctor? As a person? Bar Mordecai. No, the person who has lived with you for eight years. Evelyn. What do I think of you, doctor? I don't know. I don't want to take this interview, say, or questioning time as a sort of priestly confession. Bar Mordecai. It's not. Evelyn. It's not and I don't accept it to be. So I say what I think I would like to hear myself say. Not what I really believe, or... Bar Mordecai, so you don't want to answer the question. Evelyn, that is right. Bar Mordecai, oh, well say it. Evelyn, not completely. Bar Mordecai, you don't want to be open? Evelyn, not because I don't want to be open, because I'm not sure that what I would say this next few minutes would be the right thing. What I think of you. I think you are very honest, very devoted, a very pleasant person in many ways. I believe in your sense of ethics and sense of duty, but sometimes I wonder if I know you well, yes? And another extract. Bar Mordecai. Do you think mature elderly females need a relationship? Evelyn. No doubt. Bar Mordecai. Do you think women over 60 require regular sex? Evelyn. I don't know. When pressed, she continued. No, I wouldn't think they do. Bar Mordecai. You don't? Evelyn. Not regular. There are certain women who do, but I wouldn't make it a general rule, no. I think they require more a companionship, a warm friendship, maybe even a tender friendship. So, Bar Mordecai was using the videos to try to prove a de facto relationship had existed. While the videos seemed to show that at some stage they had had sex, there wasn't enough in the videos to demonstrate there was anything more than that. When looking for other evidence, the court found that there was no written record of any social, official or business communication by Evelyn in which she said that she was in a de facto relationship with Bar Mordecai. In response, Bar Mordecai asserted that Evelyn was lying. It was vital to Bar Mordecai's family provision claim for him to prove that not only had they been a de facto relationship at some stage, but that they were still together at the time of Evelyn's death. The Succession Act identifies the persons who are eligible to make a family provision claim. It's not just anyone. It has to be a spouse or a person who is living with the deceased in a close personal relationship at the time of the deceased person's death. There are a few other eligible persons, but it's actually a quite a narrow category. Bar Mordecai claimed that their sexual relationship continued with the same frequency and vigour in the last year of Evelyn's life. His insistence that they continue to have a sexual relationship up until Evelyn's death at the age of 83 may be an attempt to prove that they were in a de facto relationship right up until the end. The court discounted this as Evelyn was in no fit state to be having a sexual relationship, let alone enjoying it. A year before her death, she had prepared a statement referred to as the euthanasia letter. In the letter, she goes into detail about how her various medical problems, including often becoming short of breath, unsteady on her feet, nocturnal breathlessness, severe pain in her right knee, pain in her leg and hip, frequent falls, intractable angina, arthritis, diminishing long-term memory and increasing loss of hearing and eyesight, made life almost unbearable. In her statement, she says, and I quote, in view of my continuous and painfully obvious deterioration on all fronts, I have requested the option of euthanasia, feeling that I should no longer have to endure continuous and daily suffering, and realising that in view of my respiratory as well as cardiac condition, I am terminal. I have struggled through life, working hard and always trying my best. I now wish to die with dignity. End quote. 
Given that she was in so much physical pain that she was wanting euthanasia, the court found that it was highly unlikely that she was able to engage in sex at that time. But Mordecai seemed to equate having a sexual relation as equivalent to living with her as a husband on a bona fide domestic basis, which is incorrect. Instead, the court determined that from the beginning to the end, the relationship was a long-continued intrigue by Bar Mordecai to get control of Evelyn's property or as much of it as he could. They also found that the relationship was financially exploitative from beginning to end. A husband participating in good faith in a domestic relationship would not take so many gifts in such large amounts. While Bar Mordecai claimed that he had a strong love for Evelyn and was in deep grief at her death, the court did not believe him. They referred to the fact that in court he pretty much called Evelyn a liar and that he put forward a video that she had asked him to destroy. They also referred to the fact that he had relationships with other women, the way he spoke about Evelyn to his patients and other people, how disrespectful that was, and his new relationship with another woman immediately after Evelyn's death. The court therefore decided that Bar Mordecai was not eligible for further provision from Evelyn's estate as he was not at the time of her death living with her as her husband on a bona fide domestic basis. Out of time. At the time of this case, if you wanted to bring a family provision claim before the court, you had to do so within 18 months of the death. Now it's 12 months. So you don't have forever to make this application. You've got a limited time period to make sure that the estate's not waiting around. If you were late, you could apply to the court to make an exception, but you would need to provide sufficient reason for bringing the application late. Bar Mordecai had started legal proceedings in 1994, claiming that Evelyn had destroyed her will and he could have made his family provision claim at the same time, and thereby done it within the time period. If he had done so, the proceedings could have been heard together, avoiding the trouble and expense of separate legal proceedings. The court found that there was no cause for him not making the family provision claim within the 18 months, and his family provision claim was therefore denied. The court said that even if he had made his application in time, he wouldn't have been successful as they found that Evelyn had made generous provision for him in her will. Appeal It was the 2004 New South Wales Court of Appeal decision in which the court found that there was a de facto relationship between Bar Mordecai and Evelyn. However, they said that wasn't really relevant because the family provision claim had been made out of time and they refused to extend the time to allow the family provision claim to proceed. The last day he would have submitted his family provision claim application was the 25th of December 1995. He didn't apply until March 1999, over three years out of time. He had consulted solicitors in 1994 about the estate and received advice about family provision claims. So he would have known that he could make a claim and he would have known about the deadline. So he had no reason for being late. Section 66G. I mentioned earlier that the court had allowed Bar Mordecai to keep his one-third interest in the Eastbourne Avenue home. However, the estate still owned two-third of the home and needed to sell it to get the money. To sell the home, they would need Bar Mordecai's cooperation as co-owner. It's probably of no surprise to you that he didn't cooperate. In 1999, Alan, as administrator of Evelyn's estate, applied for a Section 66G order. 
Section 66G of the Conveyancing Act deals with property that is owned by more than one person. If one owner wants to sell the property and the other is preventing the sale, they can apply to the court for trustees to appoint it, who will take over control of the property, sell it and divide the proceeds between the owners. By making this application, Allen was seeking to have the trustees appointed with the control to sell the Eastbourne Avenue property. As well as needing to sell the property to give the beneficiaries their share, the sale was also needed to repay the legal cost of the estate. In the probate proceedings, the court had held the view that Allen was ultimately and totally successful in the applications and should not have to pay the legal cost of the proceedings. The court ordered that Bar Mordecai pay the legal cost, and if he did not have sufficient funds to pay the legal cost, Allen could get refunded from those assets in the estates going to Bar Mordecai. But until Bar Mordecai paid up, the legal fees needed to be paid from the estate. Bar Mordecai applied for a stay on ordering the sale of the property until he could appeal the probate decision. He argued that he had lived in the house for eight years, and if it was ordered to be sold and he was later successful in his appeal, he wouldn't be able to get the house back. In looking at whether it should put a hold on the orders until Bar Mordecai had his chance to appeal the decision, the court looked at whether his appeal would be likely to succeed. The court found that Bar Mordecai had been completely unsuccessful in his original probate proceedings and would most likely be unsuccessful on appeal. In the meantime, Allen had incurred and, and continued to incur significant legal costs. By this case, in 1999, five years after the death, the estate was liable for 300000 in legal costs, but there was less than 10000 liquid assets in the estate. The court noted that if they made orders which forced the sale of the Eastbourne property, they wouldn't be making Bar Mordecai homeless. Evelyn's will gave him the right to reside at the Mount Street unit for free. Reminder, this is a two-bedroom apartment with ocean views, so it's a unit people would kill to live in. But if for whatever reason he just couldn't live in the Mount Street unit, Bar Mordecai also had the option to rent out the unit and collect the rent. So he most definitely was not being made homeless. So the court found that the hardship to the estate was greater than any risk to Bar Mordecai and dismissed Bar Mordecai's application for a stay on the orders. So basically allowing the Section 66G application so that the property could be sold and the estate get their money at last. I want to point out that so this Section 66G application was heard in 1999 and at that stage they said that the estate was liable for 300000 in legal cost. That is really scary because legal proceedings in the estate continued on for another six years. I cannot even imagine what the legal costs were at the very end there. And even if after all the legal proceedings, the court said Bar Mordecai had to pay most of the legal cost, Bar Mordecai wouldn't have the money to. Like by that stage, there's no way he would have enough assets to cover all of these legal costs. It is just terrible to think that he managed to cost the estate quite a lot of money just by dragging these legal proceedings out and then at the end of it being unable to pay the legal costs. Medical Tribunal. In September 2000, the Medical Tribunal found that Bar Mordecai had been guilty of professional misconduct and unsatisfactory professional conduct. If you're thinking this was decades ago, the relationship started in the mid 80s. Maybe at that time it wasn't considered bad for doctors to sleep with their patients. 
Well, a doctor was called to give evidence in the court proceedings and he stated that even in 1989, it was considered improper for a doctor to have a sexual relationship with a patient and that as a doctor you would know this because you received training in ethics. Also, once the relationship began, Bar Mordecai didn't cease to be Evelyn's doctor. He was her primary GP between 1984 and her death in 1994. He recorded 198 medical appointments with her, appointments which he charged her for. That's about 20 appointments a year. When she was hospitalised in April 1994, his name was on her records as her medical attendant. As if to emphasise how significant his role was as her medical doctor, she referred to him as doctor. That is what she called him, even though they were living together as companions and for a while lovers. The reasons behind the medical tribunal's decision included that, one, the fact that Bar Mordecai had been having a personal and sexual relationship with his patient, Evelyn, for 11 years. Two, that Bar Mordecai had obtained financial advantages from a patient, being Evelyn. And three, that he undertook a course of conduct to obtain financial benefits from his patient on her death, including destroying or suppressing her will and taking videos of her. They also referred to the fact that, four, Bar Mordecai had administered 30 milligrams of morphine to Evelyn, and within four minutes of the injection she was unconscious, and six minutes after the injection she was dead. The tribunal determined that, on the evidence, the dosage was inappropriate. And five, on her death, Bar Mordecai had signed the medical certificate of cause of death, in circumstances where he was engaged in a personal relationship with her and was potentially a beneficiary of her estate. There is no law that says you can't be in a relationship with someone and also be the doctor signing the certificate of death, but the point of the complaint was that to do so is inappropriate, having regard to the very fact of the relationship between the doctor and the deceased. The tribunal found that Bar Mordecai's failure to appreciate the lack of appropriateness of his conduct was concerning, and that his conduct demonstrated a lack of adequate judgment in the practice of medicine, such as to amount to unsatisfactory professional conduct. As well as just the fact that he was having a relationship with a client, there were all other kinds of boundaries being crossed. Evelyn worked for Bar Mordecai, unpaid, in his medical practice as a medical assistant, while there, Evelyn had access to the drug cupboard of the surgery, in breach of legal requirements for Bar Mordecai to control access. She had access to prescription drugs, including Schedule A drugs, heavily restricted, always supposed to be locked away drugs. That was not appropriate for a medical attendant. She would sometimes use drugs described by Bar Mordecai as hypnotics to help her sleep, drugs that were capable of being dangerous depending on how they were used. There was also inappropriate and unprofessional behaviour in relation to other patients as well. The tribunal made orders that Bar Mordecai be deregistered as a medical practitioner and not be allowed to apply for a license for seven years. Bar Mordecai later sought to be re-registered as a medical practitioner. When his application was refused, he again took it to the courts and argued that as a result of his deregistration and the years of litigation he was involved in, he was destitute. He said that before he had been a registered general practitioner in private practice, earning a significant income, earning considerable assets. Now he resided with his aged parents and relied on a Centrelink carer's benefit. He tried to argue that the medical tribunal had been biased, ignored relevant evidence, and conducted the proceedings badly. He was unsuccessful. I think we can all have a sigh of relief that this man is not practicing medicine anymore. Bar Mordecai 
A lot of the court decisions were based on whether Bar Mordecai was believable as a witness and the evidence he produced to the court. For most of the court proceedings, Bar Mordecai represented himself and was found not to be reliable. He would contradict himself, make up new explanations on the spot, and was unable to produce the evidence you would expect him to have access to. Because he presented his own case, he included a lot of information that wasn't relevant. The court said, quote, He dealt with many circumstances which, while not entirely irrelevant, could not be regarded as of great significance, and also with a number of circumstances which, although his sense of their importance was obvious, do not in reality have any bearing on what the court is to decide. End quote. Basically, the courts had a really hard time wading through all of the information Bar Mordecai insisted on including as evidence, a lot of it which was not really relevant. His evidence demonstrated a strong hatred towards Evelyn's late husband Jack, his nephew Alan and other members of Jack's family, and he made assertions of misconduct against them, as well as assertions of conspiracy and perjury with little evidence to support them. He also criticised his own parents, calling them senile and accused them of swindling him in a family property transaction. Pretty concerning when you now consider that being destitute, he is living with them as their carer. There were a lot of mistakes in the accounts he gave in evidence, and when asked about those mistakes, he blamed it on a memory loss he suffered due to an injury he got in a motorcycle accident in 1992. However, he didn't produce any evidence to confirm the memory loss. The court said that actually Bar Mordecai had better memory than the average person, and was faking memory loss when it suited him to do so. Special mention. Bar Mordecai pretty much appealed every court decision that was made and then made applications to the High Court for special leave to appeal the decisions of the Appeal Court, all pretty much unsuccessfully. So unhappy was he with the decisions of the courts and the tribunal that at one stage he sued two judges of the Supreme Court, three judges of the Court of Appeal, and the judge and three tribunal members of the Medical Tribunal Panel. He made so many court applications that he was named a vexatious litigant and now needs court approval before he can even initiate another legal matter before the court. Being named a vexatious litigant is actually really important, because previously, when Bar Mordecai initiated legal proceedings against someone, that person would then need to get their own lawyer and defend that application in court, and so they would incur legal cost. Having been named a vexatious litigant, for Bar Mordecai now to start legal proceedings against someone, he applies to the court first, and the other person doesn't need to lawyer up, they don't incur in any legal costs, because the court considers whether Bar Mordecai has a case first. And obviously most of the time he doesn't, so no proceedings happen, and the other person is spared the cost of having to defend themselves. Summary in the various and numerous court proceedings, Bar Mordecai claimed that he was telling the truth and everyone else was lying, which leads me to quote Justice Bryson who said, quote, I do not believe that Mr. Bar Mordecai is in truth a person whom fate and malignity have exposed to an astonishing number of improbable circumstances, lies and hostilities. When he is given unsupported evidence of something which is improbable, my view is that I should not accept his evidence. End quote. I love how judges speak, making something totally insulting sound almost nice. 
What Justice Bryson is saying is that so much of what Bar Mordecai says is improbable or he attributes to other people lying or hating on him, that if he was telling the truth, he would also be the unluckiest guy around. So Justice Bryson says that he won't believe anything Bar Mordecai says unless it's backed up by evidence. So what do I think of Dr. Bar Mordecai? First off, this is a doctor who has very little knowledge or respect for the professional ethics and responsibilities a medical practitioner should hold holy. His complete disregard for them was obvious in court. He thought his opinion was more important and more correct. Secondly, it is hard to know what to think about his relationship with Evelyn. Although she was vulnerable when they met, having lost her husband of 46 years, she still had capacity to make her own decisions. She gained a benefit from the relationship. She herself in one of the videos mentioned how convenient it was having her doctor live with her and having access to him 24-7, especially with her significant medical problems. Also companionship. After being married for 46 years, the idea of living alone would have been quite scary and confronting. But Mordecai provided her a companion, someone to share her life with. I do believe that they had a sexual relationship at one stage, after all she admits it in the video, most likely towards the start of their relationship and not the end. And I feel like that probably gave her confidence a boost, to still be desired and by a man half her age. But I think underneath it, his intentions were always to get a benefit for himself, to get her to give him gifts, and after her death, to try to get her a whole estate. Part of the reason I think this is the videos which he made years in advance, why else would he be questioning her to get her to confirm in her own words their relationship? I also think his intentions were clear from the lack of respect he showed her. The way he spoke about her to other patients, his relationship with another woman while she was still alive, and even having sex with this woman in her house, moving her in only two days after Evelyn's death, and letting her wear Evelyn's jewellery. And finally, how he was so ready to share all of her personal information with the court, regardless of what she would have wanted. I think he always had greedy intentions and was always working to use her for his benefit. I think he was able to hide this from her, and he doesn't seem to understand why he can't fool the courts and the rest of the world. It's almost like he believes that he can still fool everyone else, he just needs to talk enough. I think the court got it right, in that when determining what the nature of the relationship was, his intentions should carry a lot of weight. So that is the tale of the dodgy Dr. Bar Mordecai. I will put the numerous case citations in the notes. I won't read them out because, as I said at the start, the facts of this case come from 46 separate court hearings. I've left out a lot of info and skipped over some stuff, but have tried to include the most interesting parts. I also mentioned that this isn't the only legal battle Bar Mordecai has been involved in. There are many other legal proceedings, and when I was doing a final case check before publishing this, I found a new citation involving Bar Mordecai. I had a very brief look because I needed to get this case finished, but I saw a few words in the case summary that made my interest spark. And I saw Dr. Bar Mordecai, the will of an older frail lady who may have lacked capacity to do her last will, and the transfer of real estate. Enough to make me say out loud, the cheeky bugger has been added again. Another case for me to begin researching, and you may be hearing more about the dodgy Dr. Bar Mordecai. If you have any thoughts on this case, and 
of all the cases I do, if you're going to have thoughts on any of them, this is going to be the one. Or if you have recommendations of cases for me to cover, I'd love to hear them. You can email them to elderservice at legalaid.newsouthwales.gov.au or if you're more familiar with the case and you want to correct me. Hell, there was 46 judgments I was trying to summarise. I'm bound to have got some things wrong. So if you do want to send me a little correction, absolutely feel free to. A big thank you from the Elder Abuse Service for listening in. Remember, if you have identified or if you're at risk of elder abuse, you can call 1800 353 374. Or if you are on the New South Wales Central Coast, you can contact our service on 024324 5611.